Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to the final Eye on the Triangle for 2012. It is Tuesday, December 11th. I'm Jake Langlois. And I'm DeAndre Jones. Tonight we take a look back at some of the best Eye on the Triangle stories from the past year. We will take a look back at what it's like to donate blood, go behind the scenes with the NC State Rocketry team, and spend some time with the Spring Break volunteers in some of Chicago's poorest neighborhoods. In addition, we'll revisit the farmer's market just before the leaves started to turn last fall. We'll revisit a conversation DeAndre had with some advocates for the people of North Korea, as well as some other stories we felt deserve mentioning. But before we get to that, let's turn to Jasmine Shepard for this week's weather. Jasmine, how's it looking? Thanks, Jake, and good evening, Wolfpack. Today was a good day as we experienced a high of 64 degrees with just a few light showers expected in the forecast for later on tonight. The temperature won't be dropping too low as it's expected to drop to only 43 degrees. Tomorrow we're looking at a much lower high than today as it will only reach right around 49 degrees with an expected low of 36. There's also a 40% chance of rain tomorrow, so make sure that you have those umbrellas with you as you're finishing up those exams. Thursday you'll be noticing partly cloudy skies. 54 degrees will be the high, but take a look at this. 29 degrees will be the low, much colder than what we've been experiencing, so be prepared. There will also be a 10% chance of rain, so get ready for that as well. Friday, we'll be seeing mostly sunny skies with the high expected to be 57 degrees. The low will be right around 32 with a small chance of rain at 10%. Saturday's high will be 59 with an expected low of 45 degrees. Again, there will also be a 10% chance of rain and mostly cloudy skies. Sunday, we'll be feeling a high of 61 degrees and later on a low of 42. Chance of rain on this day will be 50%, so be safe if you're going to make that trip home for the holidays. And that's all for the weather, and have a wonderful break, and Merry Almost Christmas. So disappointing that our warm spell's coming to an end. Thank you, Jasmine. And now we turn to Grant for the latest in the news. Grant. Thank you, DeAndre. Today in Michigan, the heavily debated and protested right-to-work law passed, weakening the power that unions currently hold in the economically struggling state. Two bills regarding the law, already passed by the Senate last week, were approved by the House today. Many of the thousands of protesters marching and chanting outside the state house were union workers and at least three schools were closed as teachers traveled to Lansing to protest. Currently, 23 states have right-to-work laws, and union membership in these regions is relatively weak. A lawsuit filed last year against North Carolina's use of choose-life plates promoting a pro-life opinion on abortion was officially ruled unconstitutional. A U.S. District Court judge, James Fox, wrote in the ruling, the states offering a choose-life license plate in the absence of a pro-choice alternative constitutes viewpoint discrimination in violation of the First Amendment. Republican State Representative Mitch Gillespie who sponsored the bill for the Choose Life Plates, said he would push for an appeal of the judge's decision. The bill for the license plates passed in 2011, and the legislation also mandated that money raised from the sale of the specialty plates would go to a nonprofit that supports crisis pregnancy centers. The Choose Life Plates available in 29 states, according to Choose Life Incorporated, a nonprofit that helps states that want to sell these specialty plates. Competing protests for and against Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi were played for Tuesday evening as a controversial vote neared. Tensions have run high since the president announced a controversial decree in late November expanding his decision-making powers beyond judicial review. Morsi has since partially dropped the decree, but opponents remain on edge ahead of a Saturday referendum on a divisive draft constitution. Morsi amended a law so that that voters cannot cast their ballots outside their electoral districts as they had in the past. Being able to vote anywhere had been a convenience, a presidential statement said, but it creates a burden on electoral officials. Before the separate but competing rallies Tuesday, attackers injured nine protesters with birdshot pellets and an assault on Tahrir Square in central Cairo before dawn, a health ministry official said. With the aftermath of the protest and the threat of a change in voting laws, tensions in Egypt remain high. And that is your news. 
Thank you, Grant. Last semester, Grant Buckner spent time in his spring break in Chicago, working with residents in some of the some of Chicago's poorest neighborhoods. Here is his report from the from the March nineteenth episode. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go. Drove to Chicago. All things know. Over spring break, I went on an urban immersion trip with the campus ministry crew to inner city Chicago. While we were there, myself and 29 of my new best friends worked with kids in after school programs, talked to students at the University of Illinois at Chicago, did neighborhood outreach, and served the homeless. Working with the people in a city that is very different from Raleigh affected us all in a different way. Joining NC State on the trip were schools like Virginia Tech, East Tennessee State University, and Florida State University. Here's what some of the students had to say about how the trip affected them personally. Uh, so say your name and what school you're from. Samuel Howell, East Tennessee State University. So how did the working with the homeless affect you? Um, God has definitely worked in my lives. I really enjoyed the Pacific Garden Ministry and what they're doing for the city of Chicago. You can definitely see a change in the men's lives who are participating in this program. Um, I'm Justin from Florida State. Well, I was talking to a couple of the kids from uh, the after school program I was uh, working. And, well, I was talking to them, and they uh, they opened up about how uh, they used to live on the north side of Chicago. And it used to be pretty cool up there. And then they moved um, to the east side, and they said throughout the years it started getting um, more and more dangerous. And for the kids to kind of notice that, like at their age, they were 8th and 6th grader. It was uh, pretty terrifying because when I was in their position, I didn't think about that stuff. Colin Phibbs, NC State. So how is Chicago different from Raleigh? There were boards on all the windows in the neighborhoods we were staying in uh, on the first level um, for safety. Um, You know, barred windows, uh, gates, uh, razor wire different stuff like that that would help keep people safer whereas in Raleigh we don't really think about that we you know we might lock our doors at nights but you know we're not worried about boarding up our houses or anything like that how did you change your perception of where you live let me appreciate it a whole lot better especially like the neighborhood I grew up in you know it was was a safe environment unlike here where you walk outside and we were worried for you know our own sake we saw some sketchy activity going on you know we turned around and stayed somewhere else and in my house I really didn't have to do that I you know just went home I'm Dan from Florida State um, the one thing I noticed is just when sharing my faith and stuff the people of Chicago have like not really been ex- uh, exposed to it as much they're very intellectual here and from what I saw I like, kind of closed off and so what they really need is lots of love compassion and just like people to want to love on them and really just grow a relationship with them and not be preached at but pre preached to and to not just be helped but to be served um it's one of the things i definitely learned hey this is scott mccorder from uh, nc state university and uh, i was really kind of blown away with uh, kids that we went to um help with their homework uh and do crafts uh with yesterday at our family center um I talked to some, like, third and fourth grade boys. Uh, Some kids started talking about how every day somebody else was getting killed on the news. 
and how he w- he kind of liked it because it was exciting like an action movie and that that kind of broke my heart that um that was just kind of everyday stuff for them so that that just kind of opened my eyes to see you know what what kind of lives like these kids grow grow up in i'm just really kind of blown away and i i wish i hope that i can uh, do something about it and i hope that we uh, made a lasting impact on them this week my name is damon and i go to nc state i got to pass out bread to the community i got to talk to a woman named caldonia and she was she wasn't really sure about her age uh she just lived so long she one time she said she was <laughs> She, she says she was like 78 one time, and then she's like, oh, wait, I might be 84. <laughs> it, it was pretty funny. But we had we just, like, got to go inside her house and just talk to her and, like, just, like, so happy to see us. And she kept emphasizing how so many years ago she you wouldn't have seen any white people talking to black people at all. So it was just, like, she was really encouraged, and it was encouraging to us to have her encourage us about that. Katie Kaiser of NC State had this to say about a spiritual conversation she had with a woman of Muslim faith. It was just kind of nerve-wracking at first because I didn't know how she would respond to what I had to say to her, but it was actually the most encouraging conversation all day because we talked for about an hour and a half about how Islam is different from Christianity, and it was amazing how we were able to have such a high level of respect for each other. She was just so nice and so positive. I gave her a hug when we were finished, and it was just really eye-opening to see how, um, even though neither of us got anywhere with each other, we walked away with a really great attitude. Mary Grace Knight of NC State had this to say about her conversation with a homeless woman at a Chicago mission. She kind of looked at me for a minute, um, and she's kind of giving me one-word answers when I was asking her where she was from. And all of a sudden, she just started spilling her um, her faith in Jesus Christ to me. Um, when she finally stopped, she was like, you know, when you first sat down, I had absolutely no idea how to talk to you. We don't look like we would have anything in common, but the Holy Spirit told me um, to share my faith with you. And when I saw you light up like that, I knew that is exactly what I needed to be talking to you about. Drew Johnson of NC State had this to say about his conversation with the homeless man at the same mission. And um, he just really um, broke down in front of me and started crying and shared, just shared kind of his story with me and how he had lost faith. So I prayed with him and um, he recommitted himself to Jesus. He was just so thankful that I was there and um, kept telling me that God sent me there for a reason. And it was just really encouraging to me. Afterwards, I ended up giving him my Bible that I had gotten in um, sixth grade. And so it was really, really meaningful to me to be able to share that with him. I think I speak for everyone from River and Immersion when I say that that was the best spring break of my life. For I'm the Triangle, I'm Grant Buckner, 88.1 WKNC. Certainly a unique way to spend your spring break. Uh, Liberty North Korea is an advocacy group that travels the country on behalf of the oppressed people of North Korea. Here's DeAndre's story from March 27th. Imagine a world in which you have to worry about getting your next meal because you're not sure if the government is going to feed you. A world in which the government tells you exactly what you're going to do, and if you decide not to follow their law, you are punished by extremely harsh means. This 
This world you are imagining is North Korea today. This is why I was joined in the studio by a nonprofit organization called Liberty in North Korea. They are one of the nation's only sources of awareness and funding toward the cause of freeing North Korean refugees. When they decided to put a screening on at NC State, I decided that I had to get them all on the radio to let you guys know what is happening across the ocean on the other side of the world. I'm here with Jessica Collier, Jess Steffen, and Sean Ferry. And I guess my first question for you guys is, what exactly is Liberty in North Korea? Liberty in North Korea is shortened as LINK. So LINK is a nonprofit organization based out of Torrance, California, which raises awareness on the human rights crisis in North Korea. And we also assist North Korean refugees who are hiding in China, and we help them find resettlement in a safer country. So could you tell us a little bit about what exactly is going on in North Korea? So in North Korea currently today, there are tons of violations of of basic human rights. The North Korean government is systematically oppressing their people by refusing them the basic liberties of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of movement. Uh, There is no freedom of press or or freedom of information. Um, And there are... There are arbitrary laws in place that can have people punished, sent to political prison camps for something as simple as speaking out against uh, the regime or accidentally sitting on a picture of the leader, Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il. So it is just a, a country that is really just violating its citizens' basic human rights. The death of Kim Jong-il was a pretty big deal, especially on CNN and, and all the uh, news shows like that. So has that affected what you guys have been doing or has it changed anything at all? The death of Kim Jong-il does not change anything that we do. We're not sure what that means for the North Korean people. So we are going to continue our work that we do on the ground in China and in our safe house in Southeast Asia. I see. Jess, do you have something that you'd like to add to that answer? Yeah. Uh, so so the death of Kim Jong-il means that that leader is, is no longer running the country. But unfortunately, the regime is larger than just one person. Uh, his son, Kim Jong-un, has taken over. And in the short to long term, we see no changes uh, in the North Korean regime. All of those policies are still in place. Their people in North Korea are still starving and having their rights violated. And uh, North Koreans are still fleeing. And there are still thirty to 50,000 North Korean refugees who have escaped North Korea and are currently in hiding in China today. And those people... People still need rescue and resettlement, which is what Link aims to do, is to seek those refugees out and uh, help them find freedom in, in a safer country. So you guys are nomads for Link. What exactly does that mean? What do you guys do for the organization? Well, as nomads, we, well, first it starts off, we train in L.A. for five weeks. So we do five weeks of training where they pretty much educate us on everything we would need to know about North Korea so we can pretty much become professionals on the issue. And then we're also booking tour in those five weeks, so we're just contacting colleges, high schools, and churches to see if they are interested in hosting screening. And then after all that training and booking period is over, we actually hit the road and go off to our selected route, whether it's the Northeast, the Southeast, which is what we have, Heartland, Cal West, or the Pacific Northwest. And then we go to the places that we contacted and just meet up with different people that might be interested in getting to know more about Link. We present our documentary to students and churches and just inform people as to what's going on and living in a van for about 10 weeks. It's pretty exciting and you get to lose a lot of sleep and... (laughs) eat bad fast food and but it's still like a really great experience because you learn so much about yourself and get to know your two teammates and it's super fun 
That sounds cool in its own way. Um, <laughs> I went so I went to the screening last night. It was really good, and I saw that you guys put a lot of emphasis on spreading awareness. What exactly does spreading awareness do to help North Koreans in their crisis? Awareness is important because the the North Korean issue is just so largely ignored. And the first step in pursuing an end is getting people to really start the conversation. Step one is making sure that people know, and then from there we we can continue our work and continue to to pursue an end. Also, a little fact from the screening: if you weren't there, the documentary showed different link workers that were actually in China and in Southeast Asia, um, helping to bring North Korean people over the borders and into a free country. So my question to you guys is: this one, this one's for each of you. Would you ever consider going over into China and actually performing that part? If opportunity did present itself, I'm not sure if I would do it. It's something that I would maybe consider doing because it is definitely something I'm interested in. I'm definitely interested in helping bringing refugees to freedom, but it is extremely risky to do all that, maybe as a one-time thing. Yeah, I definitely understand the amount of thought that it would take to make that sort of decision with your life. What about you, Jess? As far as if uh, the opportunity for me to become a protection officer ever presented itself, it would definitely be something that I would need to sit with for a very long time before making a decision because, like Sean said, it is very scary and it's dangerous and it's something I have a heart for and I'm very passionate about this cause. But as of right now, as a 21-year-old girl, I don't know that I'm equipped enough to to take on something like that. Ask me again in five years. <laughs> what about you, Jessica? I've actually thought about protection, uh, the protection officer position. The only thing that really turns me away from it is that it is extremely dangerous. Um, if we were to be found out in uh, Southeast Asia, then um, we would have to abide by the laws of that country. And also, it's it's like a year commitment. Like, I'm 18. And so, like Jess said, it's something that I would definitely have to sit with for a while. Maybe in the future, I would consider doing something like that. That's all I've got for you guys today. Do you guys have anything else that you'd like to say to everyone out there? So if you want more information on Link, you can visit our website at linkglobal.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at linkglobal. And if you're interested in being friends with us on Facebook, our team on Facebook, the Southeast Nomads, you can add us at facebook.com slash Southeast Nomads. This has been an interview with uh, the Nomads from Liberty in North Korea. Um, as always, share with us on our Facebook and Twitter if you guys have any sort of opinions about this issue or if you want to do the screening. My name is DeAndre Jones for Eye on the Triangle. Thank you. Last April, the North Carolina State Rocketry Team competed in a national competition to get a rocket one mile into the air. Some listeners might remember Nick Savage. Here is the conversation he had with the team from the April 10th episode. Firing chain is armed. House suppression water system is armed. Go for main engine start. Eight, seven, six, four, three, two, zero. There are many, many clubs here at NC State, though the rocketry team is probably one of the more unique ones. The team participates in the NASA-hosted University Student Launch Initiative, which challenges students to design, build, and launch a rocket that will soar to one mile above ground level. However, the rocket has to be reusable and must carry a scientific or engineering payload during its flight. The team is known as Taco Lycos, which is Greek for Speedy Wolf, and they're seeking to impress at the competition in Alabama. NASA only requires us to do one payload, and this year we are doing two, and uh, we're trying our best to uh, do things that haven't been done before. 
So yeah, our second payload is our MR payload, which is a meteorological payload, which is going to be kind of like a suspension system. It's just going to be um, kind of like what 2012 Camaros have in their suspensions. That's Garrett, the design lead and optimization lead for the team. The system he's describing helps to reduce some of the vibrations caused by acceleration during the rocket's flight and is intended to do so during the rocket's entire ascent. It works by sending electrical signals and causing a liquid within the payload to become a semi-solid. And what's really cool about our rocket this year is carbon fiber composite material is very sturdy, so it has to be a reusable rocket in the sense that all we have to do to it is throwing a motor in there and then hitting the button. Sean, who works on the CO2 payload and funding for the project, describes the innovative reusable features of this CO2 payload. It's designed to be totally reusable between flights, and you can change out the scrubber material and then dispose of it. Actually, we're looking at cool ways to environmentally dispose of the chemical material that we use. One option is it surprisingly makes a really good fertilizer for fruit trees. <laughs> so we're exploring some cool environmental uses like that that are hopefully going to give us a couple points. Another unique aspect of the rocket is the CO2 scrubber which takes in carbon dioxide during the rocket's descent and helps to cancel the carbon dioxide output by the rocket's motor, which means the rocket will ultimately be CO2 neutral. This year's competition takes place next Saturday near Huntsville, Alabama, where the NCSU rocketry team will go up against teams from schools around the country. Clark, the lead for construction, explains the scoring. The majority of your score is actually done in reports, three of which we've already completed. One proposal, a PDR, which is a preliminary design review, and a CDR, which is a critical design review. So those are the majority of the points in the competition come from. The report stuff of rocketry is not the most exciting aspect. However, <laughs> it definitely gives us an opportunity to write technical reports and actually uh, get that experience. In addition to the reports, the rocket's recovery and flight also contribute to the team's overall score. Having two payloads, however, does not give the team extra credit. We like to think that we receive extra <laughs> points, but there's no written rules that say in the handbook, you receive extra points for having a second payload, but it definitely takes more work, and I think NASA will see that. Yeah, definitely, and uh, at the beginning of the year, we had the option of just choosing one of the, two of these payloads, and the club at the time was really split between both of those payloads. We really wanted to do both the CO2 stuff and to do the MR payload, and we decided to do both because we figured that we had a funding for it. So things are going pretty good there. So when we get to Alabama, we'll actually get there a few days before launch. And there's a few things we do. We actually to take a tour of uh, NASA's facilities there. We get to see some of their equipment there and take a big tour. And then we also have a rocket fair um, where we get to actually talk about our rocket and our payloads and what we're actually doing and present them to NASA engineers and other people. And then there's also a banquet, too, that is held. So there's plenty of events that are happening prior to launch. The competition will be live-streamed online, so be sure to check ncsurocketry.com on April 21st to watch Taco Lycos represent NC State. We really want to put our best foot forward, and that's why we've come up with two really innovative payload designs, and we went the extra mile with a carbon fiber rocket, and we're really trying to give the best reputation for NC State that we can on a national scale, and we think that we're going to accomplish that. The team consists of students from all years of study and a variety of majors are involved, from working on the rocket to helping with the group's outreach component and even public relations, and students often come with little experience. Everyone is welcome and encouraged to contact the group via their website at ncsurocketry.com, where you can also check out some of the ways to support the group. That's ncsurocketry.com. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Zero and liftoff for the final launch of Endeavor. Expanding our knowledge, expanding our lives in space. Houston Endeavor, we're programmed. Roger, roll, Endeavor. Houston is now controlling. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We've got more on the way. 
what kind of music do you usually have here? Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. And KNC has both kinds, too. If you're a fan of classic country and western swing, then tune in Sundays from 4 to 6 p.m. for Both Kinds Radio. I'm your host, Big Fat Sack. In over two hours, we'll take a trip from the 1920s through the 1970s, spinning all the classics, from Bob Wills to Willie Nelson, and from Johnny Bond to Johnny Cash. So, if the good Lord will and the creek don't rise, we'll see you next Sunday at 4 for Both Kinds Radio. Think back on all the things you left on when you left your room today. When you throw away money on wasted electricity, you're throwing away everything you could have bought with it. Simple things like leaving the lights on when you leave the room or leaving the TV on while you sleep cost you more money than you know. To find out how to start saving energy so you can start saving money, visit energysavers.gov. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by WKNC 88.1. Today, an estimated 2 million children are exploited in the sex slave trade, many right here in America. Join the nonprofit organization Stop Child Trafficking Now, October 2012, and take a step of freedom for America's children. Register online today at sctnow.org forward slash walk. We can win this fight together one step at a time, one child at a time, one life at a time. This has been a public service announcement of WKNC 88.1. The Revolution 88.1.1 FM. In that period just after the peak of summer, right before the hush of fall creeps over campus, you can always count on the farmer's market opening up for the first time. The first time you see it open, you know the school year has begun. Here's Gene Zernow from August 28th. Have your jeans been feeling a little too constricting lately? Are you terrified of the freshman 15? Do you have stress dreams about dining hall food? There is a solution for you. The Campus Farmer's Market is coming back this Wednesday, August 29th. Swing by the brickyard between 10 and 3 to grab some locally grown produce from your favorite vendors. The Farmer's Market was brought to campus with the goal of educating students about the benefits of eating locally grown products, and these benefits are vast. First of all, the amount of miles food travels to get to your plate is reflected in the taste. Fresh food not only tastes better, but lasts longer and costs less. Also, local produce is seasonal, which means fruits and vegetables contain their optimal amounts of flavor and nutrients, which are often lost when food is grown through synthetic means. The consumption of locally grown food is more healthful not only due to the peak nutrient content of seasonal produce, but to the fact that the shorter the distance is between the food source and the consumer, the less risk there is of contamination. Large factories tend to use more chemicals during the food production process than small farms, even if the farms are not organic. In this sense, eating locally has innumerable health benefits. Eating locally has a positive economic and environmental impact as well. As energy prices are currently on the rise, the longer food has to travel, the more you will have to pay for it. Not only does eating locally save you money, but it also decreases your carbon footprint as less energy is involved in both the creation of the food and its transportation. Local foods support the local community. Money spent with local farmers stays in the area and goes into building the local economy, as opposed to being funneled over into the hands of a corporation located in another state or country. Thus, a greater sense of community is developed, which is why the Wolfpack community should come out tomorrow to support some of our local farmers and pick up some delicious snacks. Brian the Triangle, this has been Gene Sherniff. It may be uncomfortable to talk about, but Jasmine Shepard certainly has no qualms talking about orgasms. 
Here's a piece she wrote about some of the health benefits of it way back from the October 9th episode. I think they have an okay time. How do you know? I mean, how do I know I know? Because they... Yes, because they... How do you know that they're really... What are you saying? That they fake orgasm? It's possible. Get out of here. Why? Most women at one time or another have faked it. Well, they haven't faked it with me. How do you know? Yep. That was the clip that was shown to over 200 students last night at the infamous program, The Female Orgasm. The Female Orgasm is a program that combines sex education along with women's empowerment, equaling a good laugh. Speakers Kate Weinberg and Mark... Speakers Kate Weinberg and Marshall Miller introduced themselves by first talking about their initial interest in not just sex in general, but how to please their partner. It was an awkward tension in the room as students sat back left to ponder on their own sex lives. The central question was, what exactly is an orgasm and how does one reach one? Students around the room were introduced to a few facts. The first, the average length of time it takes a woman to have an orgasm is 20 minutes. Time it takes a man, 2 to 5 minutes. Also, 44% of men say their female partners always have orgasms when they have sex, while only 22% of women say they always have an orgasm when they have sex. Facts like this were certainly the recipe for an informational program. It's not like we were doing anything awful, said Kate as she tried to make herself sound credible. And after putting on programs such as the one presented, she said she then realized I wasn't alone in the world. The program wasn't just for women. It was also for men in the room as well. Marshall commented by saying, just as women have questions, we have questions. And questions were just what he asked the audience. But things took a turn when Marshall introduced the secretive unspoken topic, God awful, masturbation. But unlike expectations... Students had much to say like, I heard masturbation helps with prostate cancer, and I heard Jurgen's lotion gets the job done. Marshall didn't have much to say in the lotion comment, but he did verify the prostate cancer rumor. He said it was true. In fact, masturbation is a very helpful tool in preventing prostate cancer in young men. Kate interjected by stating that she too has masturbated, and it has been a very frequent task that she has been participating in since a very young age. Before her knowledge that other people did it, she said she asked herself, wouldn't that be amazing if I was the one that invented masturbation? Surely the audience had a good laugh, and after a hearty laugh and a few tips on how to reach orgasms and how to masturbate, Kate and Marshall concluded by charging students in the room to go and get some practice. Marshall commented as he assumed, there may be people in here ready to put this into use tonight. He wasn't lying because as I exited the door, I heard comments like, I'm excited and, oh yeah buddy, it's going down tonight. Needless to say, the Female Orgasm was an outstanding program that was presented by Kate Weinberg and Marshall Miller. Special thanks goes out to the Kappa Xi chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated and the Union Activities Board. Kate and Marshall, you did an awesome job. And for the students that were in attendance at such a historical event, we learned a lot. Oh, yeah, right there. Oh. Oh. For On the Triangle, this is Jasmine Shepard. Oh. oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, I'll have what she's having. Last August, the world lost a great pioneer in Lance Armstrong. I'm sorry, Neil Armstrong. Here from the August 28th episode is Andrew Eichen's reflection. Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon, died this Saturday at age 82. Mission Commander Armstrong and Lunar Module Pilot Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to land on another world on July 20th, 1969. 
Armstrong, being the closest to the door, was the first to leave the capsule. As he climbed down the stairs and set foot on the surface of the moon, he made the famous declaration, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Armstrong and Aldrin spent only two and a half hours exploring the moon. And this time they unveiled a plaque, raised an American flag, took photographs, and deployed an experimental package. Though the flag was blown over in the capsule's ascent, the plaque remains, reading, Here men from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969 A.D. We came in peace for all mankind. Armstrong never returned to space after the Apollo 11 mission, instead becoming a professor of aerospace engineering at the University of Cincinnati in 1971. He didn't maintain a public presence, never seeking public office like many other astronauts did. He was also protective of his image and likeness, leading many to characterize him as a reluctant hero. But one thing Armstrong did speak out about was continuing space exploration. He believed in the importance of a strong American space program, one that he hoped someday soon would send astronauts to Mars. So how do we remember this man? As the hero he never claimed to be, peerless and uncomparable? Or as the first of many heroes, some still yet to come? Perhaps the most fitting epitaph to this man was one written 40 years ago. In the event that the Apollo 11 mission failed and that Armstrong and Aldrin were left stranded on the moon, a speech was prepared for President Nixon to read. Today it is a tribute to all astronauts living and dead and the sacrifices they have made. They will be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by their nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. They will be mourned by a mother earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel as one. In their sacrifice, they bind more tightly the brotherhood of man. In ancient days, men looked at the stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. In modern times, we do much the same, but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood. Others will follow and surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied, but these men were the first, and they will remain foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichhorn. Last August, NC State tried to break a North Carolina record by, no by donating 1,250 pints of blood in honor of North Carolina State's 125th anniversary. Although the university ultimately fell short of this goal, Jake decided to record the experience of giving blood for the first time. Friday, 
NC State hosted its annual Fall Blood Drive, a partnership between the university and the Red Cross. This year, in honor of North Carolina State's 125th anniversary, the university and the Red Cross tried to break the state record for blood donated in one day by collecting 1,250 pints of blood. Now, a pint a person, that's a lot of blood. I'd never donated blood before, but I decided it might be a worthwhile endeavor. the sound of the Carmichael Gym on Friday where over a thousand donors and volunteers turned out to try and break the record set by Appalachian State. NC State, working together with student government and the Red Cross, had Carmichael Gym filled with waiting areas, booths, and dozens of stations where donors were able to give blood. I waited, much like everybody else, until I was approached and asked if I would be interested in donating double. So I'm getting ready to give blood here. Um waiting here for about a half hour. Um, they finally just got completely confidential. They asked me about my health and everything. And uh, I've never given blood before, so this should be exciting. Um, they asked me if I wanted to give double the amount of red cell, red blood cells. And I guess they said yes. So we're going to go ahead and do this. Now, when you donate blood, what normally happens is they take a pint of your blood and that's it. You're done. But donating double is a little bit different. What happens is they withdraw your blood, separate the red blood cells from the white blood cells and the plasma, and reinsert your blood minus the red blood cells. They do this until they have a pint of pure red cells. It's a long process that often takes more than a half hour. So finally, after about an hour of waiting, I was finally called up and given a chair. Do you know how much we are trying to collect today? Well, right now, um, they said the, the goal is um, twelve fifty. Yeah. So, so far, they, um, the numbers when I came in, they said it was um, uh, 272. As a, okay. Productive. Okay. Yeah, and they've been seeing around 600 people. But then, right before they inserted the needle, we ran into a little problem. All the machines suddenly just shut off. The whole section of Carmichael. I was just glad it stopped working before they stuck the needle in my arm and not after. Sitting there with a needle in my arm for no reason isn't exactly my idea of fun. Somebody unplugged the cord and uh, all the machines have turned off. There's like eight machines in a row right here. So it took a couple of minutes, but they finally got the power back on, which meant they could resume drawing blood. Okay, okay so you ready? So that's the needle. You got to put it in there it arm. is. Okay. That's it. I'm inside the bin. That's my signal. That you, everything is okay. I got blood in the line. Okay. And it's running. So that's it. That's it. 45 minutes? Mm-hmm. And we're done. Okay. It's not comfortable having that needle stuck into your arm. It hurts a little bit, probably like you'd imagine. But after those first few seconds, you grow accustomed to it. It's this little baggie. Little baggie. Okay. This is um, to collect the sample tubes. They're going to test your blood before they give it away to make sure that you're okay and the recipient is going to be okay. Uh-huh. Now, in the meantime, I'm going this one. It's going, the blood's going to that line. To the and that's it. You just sit there, just waiting for them to finish collecting their pint. Right here inside, it's a bowl uh-huh. collecting the blood. And then it's feeding. And then that's the one separating the plasma from the rest of Unless, of course, he chose to double donate like I did. After they collect for about 10 minutes, they begin to pump the plasma back into your bloodstream. 
Now, the average internal body temperature is somewhere around 98.6 degrees. But when they withdraw your blood and put it back into your body, guess what? It's cooled. So I've been sitting here for about maybe 15 minutes, and I am absolutely freezing. Um, is that my understanding, the way it works is they kind of pump some blood out from you, and then they pump some plasma back in. And, like, my whole body is just freezing right now. They put a, uh, a heat blanket over me. It's just... My whole body is shivering. I'm just, I'm freezing right now. Your entire body gets cold. Not November wind on your face cold. A deep, penetrating cold that runs through your entire body. After a while, you just kind of zone out, sitting there with a needle in your arm, not even really thinking. You're just waiting for something to happen. it's over. They remove the needle, tell you you're done, and let you walk out. With a free t-shirt and a cookie, of course. Ultimately, NC State fell short of its goal, but 1,146 pints is still a lot of blood that will be put to some very good use. For now, Appalachian State still holds the state record with 1,261 pints donated. But at the end of the day, the record is still just a number. The number of lives saved? Well, that's really what counts. From the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois. Back in September, DeAndre spoke with Chancellor Woodson about homecoming and the future of NC State. There are many words that describe our beloved Chancellor Woodson. Among those are nice, courteous, musical, professional, and relatable. That is why I was able to so easily have him in the studio for an interview about his time at Pacapalooza and the university in general. I personally would like to thank Chancellor Woodson for devoting some of his time to me so he could share his thoughts with you guys. I'm sitting here with Chancellor Woodson in the studio. Well, first things first, Chancellor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good morning. Good morning to you. It's, it's really great to have you here. I know, I know that you must be busy, so I really would like to thank you for coming in today. So I guess we're just going to jump right in. You know, what did you think of Welcome Week? Uh, was it a success in your eyes? Yeah, it, it was a terrific success. In fact, you know, it looked like we got our students into all the residence halls with ease, and that was good. We had a lot of volunteers. A lot of people came out. Uh, it ended with a great success in Pacapalooza. So I think we got off to a really great start with Welcome Week. If you'd have to name a favorite event of Welcome Week, what do you think yours would be? Well, for me, uh, the convocation is always an exciting event where we have the author of the, the freshman read and, and the band and all of the things that goes along with convocation. Uh, but this year, I thought we really hit it out of the park with Pacapalooza. This was a new event for us, and I, it just did a great job of bringing all the students together with the community. 
I, I definitely agree with that, too. If you're at Packapalooza, then you probably saw the Chancellor playing on stage with the headlining band, Carolina Liar. Chancellor, how was that experience? <laughs> well, it was a lot of fun. I mean, honestly, uh, I was surprised. So I didn't know I was going to do it and certainly didn't anticipate being up there. But it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I got up with a band and they said, of course, you know the song. And I said, well, I don't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he told me the chord progressions and we went from there. So... It, w- it was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, it sounded good, too. Uh, so did you feel like you were keeping up with them? Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> uh, what, are you kidding? Yeah. Y- you know, it was uh, probably not my best performance in my history, but it was a great deal of fun. So how long have you been playing guitar? I started playing guitar probably when I was 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, I've never really trained professionally as a guitarist. Uh, I didn't have the patience for that. And when I was a kid, you know, I just wanted to play Led Zeppelin. And, uh, you know, I'd leave the teachers to the scales and things. So being the chancellor of NC State, of course, is a big deal. What would you say that your favorite part of your job is? Well, clearly the, the most fun of the job is seeing students successful at the university. And that's why, you know, the fall semester and when everyone comes back, in august it's just such a a great time of year so the the most fun any university leader has is in seeing our students return to campus seeing the energy that they bring back to nc state and just watching them grow uh, personally and professionally is it hard to find time to meet with individual students or groups of students well it's a challenge given everything that i have that i'm responsible for but I, I work hard at it. In fact, uh, you may have read in the technician this morning, just yesterday, I met with a group of students in the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And in fact, I, you even mentioned to me that uh, you had been part of a group of students that met with me in the Poole College of Management. So once a year, I meet with students in each of the colleges. And I also have lunch with the chancellor once a month where students can sign up uh, to be part of that smaller, intimate conversation. And then I go around campus once a month for a chat with the chancellor that provides students an opportunity to to engage in conversation with me, ask me questions they might have, and just talk about the university. Do you think that uh, meeting with students and getting their opinions about the school is a an important part of your job? Absolutely. Uh, if, if you think about a university as a business, students are customers. And to keep the university competitive and to keep it successful – We need to be working hard to ensure that our students uh, are getting a great education and they're successful here. So, yes, meeting with students is important. Where do you see the university going in the future? Yeah, NC State is, uh, without a doubt, one of the nation's strongest public universities. Uh, We're one of the top 100 research universities in the country. And so NC State's future is very bright because we're a university that's built around areas of of disciplines or areas of learning that are critical to the nation's future. And it's everything from science and technology and engineering to humanities and social sciences. So as a university, we have an opportunity to bring students and faculty together to really address the important problems that we face as society. A quick question about Centennial Campus. I know there's some big plans for that campus in the future. 
Could you describe a couple of those plans, please? Yeah. Well, without a doubt, Centennial Campus is one of a, a real differentiating features for NC State. First of all, it's unusual in that, that it's a campus that includes both academic buildings and, and the private sector research organizations. So the biggest thing going on on Centennial Campus now is the finishing of the Jim Hunt Library, which is going to be an absolutely phenomenal facility that brings students and faculty together with technology in ways that very few universities are able to do. The the second uh, big thing going on now on Centennial Campus is for the first time we're going to add student housing. And we're building a 1,200-bed student housing facility and dining facilities and, and that will really strengthen Centennial. The challenge going forward with Centennial is continuing to move students, getting them between main campus and Centennial campus seamlessly, and we're working hard to do that. And when will the Jim Hunt Library be opening? We're anticipating opening the second semester, early in the second semester. Uh, we're certainly going to have a dedication event in February, but we hope the library is ready for occupancy shortly after the beginning of the new year. We're already moving books into the library, uh, so things are starting off. My last question, personally, I was really surprised about how easy it was to get in contact with you um, to get this interview, and I think a lot of students may not realize how actually easy it is to have at least some sort of interaction with you. Um, could you name a couple ways that that's possible? Well, I've already mentioned that I have uh, these visits around campus with colleges. Uh, I also have the chat with the chancellor and, and the lunch uh, with the chancellor where students can go online and sign up. But as you've pointed out, if students have uh, something that they need to bring to my attention, my staff is fully prepared uh, to work with students to get these things on in front of me and, and get them on my radar screen. I think it's really great that you are you know, not just a face, but you're actually like a person and you're relatable and available. I am a person. Thanks for recognizing that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that with that, we're going to wrap the interview up. Once again, I thank you, Chancellor Woodson, for being as courteous as to let me have some of your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. And if you have any questions for the Chancellor, all you have to do is go to the NC State homepage, follow the About NC State link. You can find the Chancellor's homepage from there. He has a link called Ask the Chancellor, and that's how I was able to get in contact with him. So I'm sure that he would be just as apt to get in contact with you, too. Thank you, guys. And for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. And now I understand, DeAndre, for the last show of the year, we have some holidays we should be celebrating even between in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Most definitely, they, uh, they do exist, Jake. Wow. Um, but first, can we talk about me fangirling with... Chancellor Woodson in that last interview. I totally was. You, like we could hear it. We could hear it in your voice. <laughs> All right. Heartbreaker. So tomorrow, December twelfth. Tomorrow, December twelfth is National Dingaling Day. Well, uh, you're gonna have to elaborate that on that. Is, Expand on that. Um, it's a day where you should embrace your crazy and bizarre behavior. They should change the name of that. <laughs> and, and from all the people that you're going to encounter today, okay. or on that day, excuse me. So you know that day. Don't be afraid to. Let your crazy out. Um, okay, you let your crazy out. Just change the name of that. Let your crazy out. Okay. <laughs> Something. So Hog that, wild day. <laughs> yes. Yes, Grant. So next we have uh, also on December 12th is a poinsettia day. Okay. Which I, is uh, you know, the, the flowers. That's a big industry here in the States, so that's important. They are. Um, and it was uh, originally pronounced as an act of Congress. 
Um, it is to honor. Uh, it is in honor of Joel Roberts Poinsett, who died on December twelfth. Um, he was the first ambassador to, Mes- to Mexico who bought the plant back, or who brought the plant back, excuse me, to his plantation in the U.S. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yep, I didn't know it was a Mexican flower. <laughs> so <laughs> that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> so next on December fifteenth, we have the Bill of Rights Day. That's important. Why on December fifteenth? Uh, well. <laughs> you don't know? No. Um, that's fine. <laughs> Ten of these amendments were added to the Constitution on December 15th. Okay. So. That's cool. <laughs> uh, so, bonus points. Who can remember the Third Amendment? Don't look over here. Uh, it's been a couple of years. One of my friends asked me this a couple of days Something ago. Something about guns. No, that's not the Third <laughs> Amendment. <laughs> yeah, one of my friends asked me this a couple of days ago, and I could not remember it. It's uh, it's uh, the anti-quartering amendment. You don't have to quarter. Oh, oh yeah. Quartering that. Yeah, okay. so, yeah of course you did. <laughs> could not remember that. that. <laughs> so, all right. De- December sixth is National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Chocolate covered anything? Yes. So, like ants, crickets. Yeah, I mean they, they legit. People the legit do that, and it's supposed to be good. <laughs> no, people do that. People eat chocolate covered bugs in other kind con- yeah. you know, different just, places around the world. I'm just confused as to why your mind went to that first. That mine, yeah, that's, that's where I was <laughs> as well, Jake. I went, mine went to strawberries, Cho- uh, apples. Yeah, I think it sounds like, like great prank day, like chocolate covered cell phones and your roommates. <laughs> <laughs> chocolate covered roommates day. <laughs> December sixteenth is National Chocolate Covered Roommates Day. Oh, that's every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> moving on. Next, we have. December eighteenth is uh, baked cookies day. Okay, Will that's you be good. Baked cookies? Um, well, I might. Did you say big cookies? Bake, bake, bake cookies. Bake cookies. Yeah. Like it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a thing. Like you know, there's so much separation with like Christmas and Hanukkah and Ramadan and Kwanzaa and stuff like that. Bake cookies is for everyone. That's true. <laughs> that is true. You can, it's it's completely inclusive. And you, and you know if you, you can bake cookies however you want them, whatever. It's very personal, mm. very intimate. Okay. okay, good. Well, then uh, have a baked cookie on that. What was it? December? December 18th. 18th. Okay, then. So. Is that it? Yep, that's all we got. And that's all about. That's all we got for you guys this week and all. We thank you for tuning in tonight, and we hope you've enjoyed this look back at 2012. I'd like to thank Grant Buckner, Andrew Eichen, Jasmine Shepard, Gene Cernoff, Jade Tomblin, DeAndre Jones, and all those who have contributed to Iron the Triangle over the past year. It's been a wonderful year, and we look forward to doing it all again in 2013. And, and also, you guys can be a part of the Iron Triangle crew next year if you want. Uh, we're going to have, the station's going to have a little bit of a little bit of a orientation. So open yeah, house. Open house sort of thing. So, so look for that in the next that. year. And from all of us here at Iron the Triangle, we'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Until next year. Good night.